So Money, episode 1089, the grandfather of life planning, George Kinder, a replay. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. People are passionate for freedom, and they're passionate for it in a lot of different ways. And what life planning did was it put your individual freedom at the front of what what was most important, not your financial freedom, but what would be profoundly meaningful for you or profoundly energizing for you. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Happy Monday. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We are continuing our playback of some of the best of So Money, some of the recent best of So Money. Today, we revisit George Kinder's interview. He is the Harvard-educated economist turned CPA turned financial advisor. He's been referenced on this show a number of times. Guests who are in the financial planning business revere him as the grandfather of financial planning, of life planning. He's the founder of the Kinder Institute of Life Planning. And he has a method where you answer just three questions to transform your relationship with money and have clarity around how to manage your money. George Kinder has revolutionized financial advice for now 30 years. He's trained over 3,000 professionals around the world in the field of financial life planning. And he has a book out, a new book called A Golden Civilization and the Map of Mindfulness, where he draws on 50 years as a mindfulness practitioner and over 30 years as a mindfulness teacher. Here is George Kinder. George Kinder, welcome to So Money. Well, it's great to be here, Farnoosh. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. I know you're very busy right now. You're on a worldwide tour to talk about your latest work, a book called A Golden Civilization and the Map of Mindfulness. I want to learn more about this in just a moment. But let's take a giant step back for people listening who may be new to your work or are are not sure what, for example, life planning really means. You are noted as the father of of the life planning movement. You went to Harvard, you've worked in personal finance as a financial planner, a tax advisor for decades, and you've trained, you know, just so many people around the world on a framework that we're going to get into as well about how to basically plan your life using your money as a tool. Um, but I want to first learn about the beginning of all of this. So Money Magazine kind of summarized your career as Harvard educated, went from financial planning and tax advising to launching Kinder Institute of Life Planning. But where where were you at nine years old, 10 years old? Were you always fascinated perhaps about money and our mind when it came to what money means to us and how to make money, quote unquote, work for us? Mm. I, um, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but, but what, but, but the roots were there. The source was there. Um, what, what drove me was not money, but was a passion, uh, to live, uh, uh, a creative life a profound life. Uh, and, and gosh, I started having kind of extraordinary experiences, um, 
uh, more of on the spiritual side of things when I was three years old and began asking deep and profound philosophical questions that uh, I kept asking through high school and through college. And what uh, so a, as a child, I was I was very alive in this almost this other other realm. I love nature. Um, and when it came to having to earn a living, um, I, I, I felt almost as if I was being split in two. Because in the, you know, when, when I grew up in the 60s and 70s, there was a saying, I'm sure you've heard of it, do what you love and the money will follow, right? And follow your passion. Yeah. And, we say and, that still. Yeah. And what, and I say it too, but what I discovered rather rudely was no one would pay me for my, for a single one of my poems and no one would pay me for a meditation. So at, or for spending time in nature. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so I was, and yet my skills in, in Harvard, I entered as a math major and I, I went through economics. I ended up majoring in English, but my strengths were mathematical and uh, finance came extremely naturally to me, but it wasn't what I was passionate about. So in part, this whole movement, why I've, uh, I've come to uh, be a leader in a movement that uh, is all over the world is um, that I was passionate about doing something and my money life was separate from that. And I needed to somehow find a way to bring that together. At the root of it, what do you think it was that spread the movement so wide and it was so um, well received? I mean, I've, I meet people who are like, George Kinder's method has entirely changed my perspective on my life. My It has improved my relationship. Do you think it's because you made it not just about the money that it's almost secondary to what you're really encouraging people to think about? Yeah, it is secondary. The, what, what, um, and, and, uh, as you know, I've just been on a, a world tour and what I found everywhere is that people are passionate for freedom and they're passionate for it in a lot of different ways. And what life planning did was it put, uh, your individual freedom at the front of what, what was most important, not your financial freedom, but what would be profoundly meaningful for you or profoundly energizing for you. And so we would ask deep questions of um, who you would uh, want to be or what you would want to accomplish. And we wouldn't shy away from the depth, whereas most financial advisors are selling products still, or they're, or they're selling, they're touting their spreadsheets about how they deliver this kind of rate of return and they'll reduce this risk. But if you ask anybody on their deathbed what they, what they wish they'd done, it's not about money. It's about something in their life. And we got to the core of it and then we found a way to have a, a dialogue, an engagement with a client that was so meaningful and so exciting for the client um, that, uh, that the money piece was no longer problematic. Well, I'd love to go through this a little bit for listeners. I think this could be a really fun exercise for people listening. Uh, what do you say to kind of go through? Yeah, go through these questions. I love these questions that you encourage people to answer. And just to preface what we, what you mean by financial life planning, this is for you and for everyone who follows your method, it's really about the achieving freedom, which is also a very personal definition. 
Absolutely. There's no, it's not my definition. It's the clients. And, and we never ask them what is freedom for you. We, we have conversations about the contexts of their life. And in fact, before we even go to the questions, just extremely briefly, mm-hmm. the, the essence of life planning of great life planning is, uh, is great listening. So the, the life planners who are the best life planners for a client are really good listeners and really make the client feel um, uh, like sharing things they might not have shared with anyone before, including their spouse, uh, sharing what is uh, uh, what would be what would be most exciting or most profound or meaningful for them. So it's that level of listening of a great mentor, uh, of a great counselor. So that's kind of the actually the root of it. And then what people get very excited about, because it's easy to understand are the three questions. And I don't know, do you want me to go into those? Let's do that. Yeah, I I can also help prompt them. Um, But what you also just brought up in listening to you, what I'm hearing you say is basically for anyone listening who is in the pursuit of working with a financial planner, very important, a good red flag. I've experienced this is when you go into the shiny boardroom and they're they're telling you about all their rates of return and it's just chart after chart after chart. And they haven't even asked you, you know, do you have kids? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, we, and we even, our questions are even more open-ended than that. Right. Um, all that we ask really in the first meeting is why, why, so why are you here? Or what would you like to accomplish if we were to work together for a while? And we stay with that question. So we don't ask about retirement. We don't ask about kids. We don't ask about education. We don't ask about the mortgage. We don't ask about, um, anything like that. We just, Mm. so it, it becomes a field that the client can move into as they like without us prompting anything. And that's where you, you get those movements. And what's astonishing, the movements are often quantum leaps. They'll be talking about, you know, uh, coaching, you know, baseball for their kids or, or coaching dance. And, and, uh, and then the next thing you know, suddenly they've moved into something that's profound about their mother or their father and how they treated them as a child. So the first question is really about thinking big and imagining yourself in a world where there aren't any financial concerns. So you want people to imagine, everyone listening, let's do this, get a pen and paper or rewind this. Imagine that you're financially secure, that you have enough money to take care of your needs now and in the future. So the question is, how would you then live your life and what would you do with your money? Would you change anything? I find that this can always be a different answer depending on where you are in your life. Because in my 20s, I would have answered this much differently than today now that I have children and I have more financial obligations. So is this important to maybe ask this of yourself for, you know, every decade or how do you know you're getting to the right answer with this? Well, well, first of all, I want to say that these three questions that you're now introducing with the, the very first of them, right. uh, uh, as an advisor, I recommend using in the second meeting or after you've already had this very open-ended, soft listening experience with the client. Then we leap into this question. And you're absolutely right. I, in fact, I, I will ask myself these questions, oh, several times a year. I'll come back and, and review them for myself, certainly once a decade. With clients, I would do it every couple of years. I'd come back 
because you never know when some life changing thing or some realization uh, might come up. And often the question will prompt that unconscious, what has been unconscious to be revealed. Um, and absolutely children change it. Um, uh, coming near to retirement, if we're thinking that way, changes it. But what, one of the things we discover in life planning is that retirement is is not really what it's all about. It's really about living the fullness of your life. And that happens at every stage in every uh, for every person. Second question. And this one is a little bit more. Mm, well, it's it's a hard one to answer, but I think is an important question to ask yourself, as we always know that life has its limits. And this one is imagining where your doctor tells you you have just five to 10 years to live. Um, the good part is that you will never feel sick. The bad news is that you will have no notice of the moment of your death. So what will you do in the time that you have remaining to live? So you're going to have a quality life until those 10 years are done. Will you change your life? And if so, how? That's uh, that's a little harder to answer, right? It can, be, it can be fueled by a lot of fear in some cases. How do you make this? How do you make a logical choice here? Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's very valuable that the first question was kind of all about money. It's like winning the lottery. Right. So you get to kind of play. And this one's clearly much more serious. And uh, and it gets all of us to reflect. And very often, not always, but very often, maybe by far the majority of the responses have to do with family, with relationship. Um, but also one begins to think about, well, what is my legacy? If I only had that amount of time left, what either, what, what is my legacy or what would I most enjoy that I've held myself back from experiencing for all these years? And so we begin to get really much more important responses and responses that we think as life planners should be much closer to the drivers of a financial plan. And so as you're answering these questions and as an advisor, you're hearing these answers. Um, at what point do you go back to the money and think about, well, how do we align these two things? So your goals might be over here on this corner, your finances over here. If your finances aren't supporting these goals, um, is there ever a scenario where you might tell a client that's just not realistic? Um, virtually never, never mm. is the interesting answer. At first you think it is. And, and we've all been trained that way. We're, uh, with money matters because we want to be very careful for our clients as well as for ourselves. We're naturally skeptics. We're naturally doubters. We're naturally concerned about the budget and we're concerned about debt. Um, what, uh, what we do as a practice is this is the second meeting, this visionary meeting around the questions. And we park all the financial stuff or the bulk of it, the difficult questions about it till the third meeting. Because what we find is that if the client, if we can find what would really inspire the client and then say, you can have that. Let, let's, I want to work with you to make that happen. Let's make that happen. You were born to do this. This is who clearly you are. Let's make it happen. What happens is the client brings a layer or a level of energy 
to their life and what they really long to do that they've never imagined before. So they end up out of these meetings. They come out with an entrepreneurial fervor that's unbelievable, even if it's about just caring for their infant daughter. Um, they come out with an energy because they are no longer blocked by guilt or by responsibilities. And that energy then feeds as well their economics. So very often we've given clients an additional 10 or 15 hours a week and they've been so productive then at their work that there, there's not a hint of, of loss in what they're doing. Hmm. Uh, they're so much more engaged. Uh, they're so much more alive. So that's really, that, that's more or less how we do it. It's, you know. Do you want to take this last question? This one really puts things in perspective and it has a more immediate tone to it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to? Yeah, it? take it away. So here, so you, we've done the first two questions and the third one goes deeper still. And the, the question is, uh, this time you go to your physician, your doctor, and uh, he or she really shocks you with the, the news that you've had a rare ailment, a real rare disease, and it's come to term. It was misdiagnosed. It was never diagnosed before. But you you have only one day left to live. And the question is not what you would do with that day. That's a, an easier question in a way. The question is to reflecting on your life and all the things that you'd anticipated doing, all the things you'd anticipated being, becoming. The question is, what did you not get to do? And who did you not get to become? Excuse me while I go cry into my pillow. <laughs> it's often. We um, <laughs> yeah. To hear that woman sobbing in the background, that's me. Yeah. Um, this requires a lot of inner work. I feel like before you can really answer these questions, you have to know who you are. And often we just don't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why, Farnoosh, that's why that in the training for Life Planner, the primary thing we train a life planner in is great listening skills so that if that that crying is there, um, we're there to hold it. We don't go with a therapist back to, you know, past experiences and all that, but we're empathic, gracious, generous of spirit and kind. And the client feels that so they can move through the tears, whatever are there and come to the insights that are. Uh, around those tears, surround the tears. Well, I often think that, you know, the gap sometimes between knowledge and action when it comes to matters of finance and personal finance is feeling empowered and motivated. And money is meaningless without attaching to your money some sense of, you know, personal uh, direction, values, hopes, dreams. Um, and I think this is really the winning ticket to answer these three questions. Inevitably, you are arriving at a place where now if, if, if you weren't passionate about your, you know, achieving financial um, steps or achieving financial freedom or getting out of debt, let's just get really basic, getting out of debt, earning more, saving more. This, if there's no other catalyst, I don't think there is. 
to really imagine yourself having just 10 years to live, or this is your final day and really using your money as a way to help you arrive at the things that matter to you even more than money. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more with the way you framed all of that, that the movement from knowledge to action uh, uh, comes uh, best and most vigorously and uh, when you feel empowered and you feel motivated. And what these three questions, and uh, there are a few other exercises we use in life planning, what they do is they help us keep our eyes on the prize. And the prize is not about the money. It's really about living an extraordinary life of, of who we're meant to be. And it stimulates a kind of vigor and vitality in us um, that I've also written about in, in my earliest book on the seven stages of money maturity. Um, but that's what we want. We want to we want to live full lives, passionate lives. And money is is uh, really then becomes um kind of like the, the roots, the trunk, the strength that allows us to, to, to do that. Um, but without knowing the passion, we can't get there. I think you have such interesting perspective as, as somebody who has been in this space spanning, you know, multiple generations and like, mm. you know, collectively 50 years as a mindfulness practitioner, 30 years as a teacher, and then, you know, 30 years in the work of personal finance and, and tax advising. And I do wonder... The world's changing, you know, <laughs> it's, it's changing very rapidly. And, um, you know, people have particular financial um, challenges today, obstacles today that may not have existed when you first started in this work. Things like student loan debt has really canon, has really, you know, um, ballooned and, um, you know, the cost of living has gone up while st- wages have been stagnant. And I do wonder if you have found yourself at all tweaking a little bit of the methodology as the world has changed and as people's financial realities have adjusted a little bit to just the realities of the world, the circumstance of the world, the, you know, the, the chasm between the rich and the poor. Um, and I do, so I wonder if, if you have personally in your own work have had to adjust the the methods um, because I don't know if you've noticed, but personal finance advice is under a little bit of attack right now, you know, um, where some journalists and policymakers and the general public sometimes wonders like, well, if all of us are giving all this great advice, why, why haven't we seen more results? Why are more, why is everybody still, you know, living paycheck to paycheck? Majority of Americans, majority of Americans um, mm-hmm. couldn't come up with just a few hundred bucks in an emergency. So you start to wonder um, the impact. And, and, and so not to get too out there, but I just want to ask if you have found yourself mm-hmm. questioning some of the ways that you're, you're teaching your advisors and then their clients, just given there's what's happening externally and in, in, mm, in mm. the world. Well, it, it's so interesting that you ask the question and uh, there's, there's short and long answers and they're different really. I mean, in the short answer um, and it's pretty profound really is, is no. Uh, and that answer is because the, what hasn't happened yet, in all the personal advice that financial advice that's been given all over the world, there's not enough of an understanding that this is all meant to be about you living the life that you're meant to live. Uh, 
And when people, when we really realize that, we deepen with a kind of strength into ourselves, we deepen into our authenticity, there's an integrity that we call upon, and then as you just spoke a minute ago, we become empowered and motivated and vigorous to move from knowledge to action. So that still doesn't happen enough. And partly it doesn't happen enough because the industry is still hugely controlled, even though the advice world is strong and wonderful, it's still hugely controlled and has a history coming from the product community and from the uh, the, the profit-making uh, community where, where the focus is not on the client. It's not on fiduciary. It's not on uh, uh, us realizing ourselves. So, so part of me says no, I haven't changed. And then I'm going to say the part that has the part of me that hasn't changed. just says we've got it. It's important for us to get this message out to everybody, to all levels of society, that this that money's meant to be for you. And yes, the problems have changed, but still it should be your passion that drives the uh, the res- resolution of student debt, knowing mm-hmm. where it is that you're going uh, and and the cost of living and the rich and poor questions. But the answer to me that is yes, uh, Farnoosh, is is related to my latest book, and it may not be quite time in the interview to go there, but I know that what has what happened to me in the 2008 financial crisis was I felt personally devastated by the crisis, and it's partly for all the reasons you're mentioning that um, here I'd been working in the industry for 30, 40 years promoting what I thought was integrity, client service, fiduciary, and passion, passionate lives. And then how could these one company after another, after another, uh, billion dollar fines, and they're all, it's all in my, in my uh, most recent book, but how could that happen? And I thought, have I wasted my life? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I took it very personally. What have I been doing? And um, and so from that standpoint, what I did in this latest book was I shifted to the issues of rich and poor, the issues of cost of living, the issues of student loan debt. I it shifted to some of the structural issues that have brought those problems to bear and said, not only do we need this passion, Uh, for everybody to live their life of greatest meaning. But we also need to recognize that all of the work that we do, if we're a truly entrepreneurial society, I ask some of my uh, uh, most capitalist friends, if we're genuinely entrepreneurial, how come at the top of every hierarchy of power, every corporation, every nonprofit, every government, how come we're not seeing after 250 years of this brilliance of humanity, we're not seeing at the top of every hierarchy of power a figure of great wisdom? And that figure radiates down through uh, their organization wisdom. So you encounter wisdom at every level of that organization. If we were truly entrepreneurial, wouldn't we be bringing the very best out of ourselves and out of our community, uh, out of our society? And that's that's what I think we are, are called to do now at this point in history, both individually through life planning. And now also I, I'm talking about it's time to life plan civilization. Make that happen. I love that we transitioned when we did to talking about your book. I think it was a great uh 
a great opportunity to to talk about this next chapter in your life and in your work. The book is called A Golden Civilization and the Map of Mindfulness. As you look out there in the world, who's doing it right? Uh, there must be templates out there, right? This isn't something like we have to start from scratch. There are models of uh, exemplary institutions and companies and, you know, democracies out there that are actually yeah. Well, it, it's it's wonderful. One of the one of the charts surveys I have in, in the book is a, a survey of 180 countries and what level of democracy they have. And clearly you can study those uh, that chart and, and, and gain a lot of uh, a lot of wisdom from that. But the um, and we know that there are many organizations that are d- doing good work in the world and also are expanding for their uh, communities, um, greater greater levels of, of meaning and connection. Um, but the truth is that it's not happening sustainably all across. And we know governments like Bhutan, but Bhutan is such a small, a small um, island in the middle of the world, uh, have begun to shift their understanding of economics to one that they call happiness. I would call it freedom that they're really shifting to. So I, I, I think it's really more a, a question of uh, it, it's time for all of us to address the question of why isn't this happening sustainably everywhere? And in addition to uh, corporations and governments and nonprofits being uh, filled with brilliance, intellectual brilliance, that they should be filled with great hearts and great wisdom. And if we're not finding that everywhere, we need to look at the structural roots of, of, of capitalism, of democracy, of governments all over the world, and think, how can we shift this? And let's make it happen now in our generation. There's no reason to have corruption. It doesn't make any sense that we have corruption. Why don't we eliminate it? It doesn't make any sense that we have war or that we endanger the planet. It's time to solve those problems so that we can all live flourishing lives. Let's gather together and make that happen. George Kinder, thank you so much for joining us. This has been quite the half hour. (laughs) You've given us a lot to think about, but I love that we are uh, able to connect with you now as we round out the year of 2019. And, you know, we look ahead. I'm, I'm hopeful. It sounds like you have, you have no other dial but optimism. So I'm, (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm I'm grateful. Thank Thank you you so much. Congratulations. Wishing you safe travels and continued success. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. This has been a great pleasure for me. Thank you to George Kinder for joining us. Check out his website, georgekinder.com and kinderinstitute.com. To learn more about his book and movement, head over to a goldencivilization.com. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money.